Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of introducing Jenny Diltz to the show today as a special guest. Jenny is a grief, end of life, and life coach offering safe space for people coping with death, dying, and suicide. Jenny coaches, educates, and supports her clients in individual and group settings. In life coaching, Jenny helps people overcome obstacles, achieve goals, and find new perspectives within their current situations. Her journey as a grief worker began in 2017 as Jenny sat with a friend days after her husband's sudden death. That experience invigorated and excited Jenny and caused her to embrace becoming a certified grief and end-of-life coach with Don Eisenhower through his coaching at end-of-life course. It's with great pleasure I welcome Jenny Dills to the show. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. I have to say, synchronicity is very important to me. And the night you and I finally connected, I don't know if you recall this, but I had just worked with a client of my own that called me spontaneously about their best friend and loved one committing suicide. And I was on the phone with that person. I believe it was like a Wednesday evening. It was later in the week. And I was on the phone with that person for an hour. And I didn't charge that person for a reading because I, I believe in suicide. There's just certain things you don't charge, for me at least. You know, I had the benefit of being a lawyer and a few other things. And, and sometimes my spirit guides allow me to make those decisions. But the reason I'm bringing all that up is the synchronicity was overwhelming. Here I am working with somebody who spent an hour with me, telling me that the love of her life committed suicide three weeks earlier. And I was speaking to her on multiple levels and the mediumship stuff kicked in and I had an opportunity to give her some guidance and some solace. And as soon as I hung up the phone, you called me back. We're coordinating, but you called me right away. And I think that that was just a strong recognition of the special nature of the work that you do. And I definitely wanted to make sure I had you on the show to talk about your unique perspective of grief, end of life and life coaching. And I first wanna ask you, welcome to the show first off. But I wanna ask you, 
What made you pursue this path? Because it's such a unique path to pursue. Um, so like you said in my intro, when I sat with my friend, that was really the beginning of me pursuing this path. Um, that experience probably, I can say, changed my life. Um, because from that experience, I recognized that I can create a safe space, a peaceful place for others in their deepest, darkest, most painful moments. Um, and it also was a catalyst for me unlocking my own passion and life calling um, to support others in grief. And then a couple years after that, a friend texted me and said that her sister died by suicide. Ah, oh, it's horrible. And like you were saying, the synchronicity of it, um, I had just been in a, in a meeting with my church congregation where we talked about suicide. And I was, um, I felt the urgency from my sister, my friend about her sister. And I knew that I needed to help in that area. And with my coaching program with Don, I chose to do a presentation on suicide. And the experience with my friend prepared me to do that. And I felt a special calling to work with people um, who have been affected by suicide. So all of these things together have helped me be where I am now. What is your favorite part of being a grief counselor and end of life coach? I would have to say it's seeing people convert grief into power and how that affects not only the grieving part of their life, but every aspect of their life. Seeing them transform their lives and have that be in, of eternal significance for them. I love that. <laughs> Turning something bright from something that's the darkest moment of possibly someone's life, mm -hmm. the rebirth, the renaissance, the growth that we allow ourselves to, to achieve once we're able to really create change in our lives and our perspective and paradigm shifts. Yeah. What do you find is the most common challenge for you working with someone who's grieving the death of a loved one who's committed suicide, for example? I don't necessarily see a challenging part for myself Th their grief and the suicide doesn't affect me meaning I don't internalize their grief I know that it's their grief and I hold space for their grief and I know that it's not mine so it doesn't like it doesn't really weigh me down or weigh on me so the grief part doesn't I don't see any negative effects. I guess the challenging, the most challenging part is holding space for the urgency and the, the heaviness of it. So when people call me, especially when they've been affected by suicide, um, I do feel a sense of urgency to help them or work with them. Um, and because I've worked with others who have been affected by suicide, I know the weight of death by suicide in particular. 
Um, and it seems to be heavier than death by other causes. That's an interesting point. I had somebody call me last week, a wife, a mother, someone in her 70s. And she called me and out of the blue, we were talking. And she was asking me for a random psychic advice. It was during my day. And I didn't give her a reading at that point. But I wound up giving her a reading because one of the things I told her during the actual call became a, an hour call. Your husband, he passed away. And he wants me to tell you he didn't commit suicide. He accidentally overdosed. And she became wailing and crying emphatically into the phone because he died 35 years ago. And all those years, she carried the, the guilt that he committed suicide when he wanted to come through and immediately tell her, I did not commit suicide. I didn't kill myself. It was an accidental death. And I feel I bring that up because I think when it comes to suicide, is it accurate to say that sometimes people have the hardest time thinking that this person intentionally took their, their life to escape the challenges of life, like that they actually, you know, they actually killed themselves. It was a decision. You find that's a hard thing to overcome or try to persuade people that perhaps it wasn't, it's not a decision. A lot of times when someone's suffering from severe mental illness and we're dealing with a pandemic and there's a lot of terrible things in the world right now that weigh people down more excessively than normal. And I wanted to ask you about that. Is that something that you find yourself that you um, help your client, your clients understand better? In other words, in other words, that you you work with somebody and you tell them, so you know, your loved one did not commit suicide to escape or did not commit suicide intentionally to leave you behind, but rather it's a mental health issue. And I, I like to tell people, it's like, think of diabetes. If you have diabetes and it affects the body and you go into some type of an insulin shock and you die that way, that's a sudden thing. Well, with suicide, it could also be like that in a way because when you're, you're dealing with mental health issues, you may not be thinking very clearly. And your decisions may not be premised on reason, and you may be acting out of a sudden, you know, sudden acts of, of the mind that aren't necessarily based in any type of logic that would cause you to actually think about something. Yeah, I'm not an expert in suicide, and I prefer not to work on the suicide prevention side. Okay. Because that, that is really challenging for me, because I do carry the weight and the, the pain. I feel that very, very deeply. So working with prevention, suicide prevention, I don't think is very healthy for me. Okay. But picking up the pieces afterwards, Fair I can enough. do. Fair enough. Having said that, there are, I have learned that there are a lot of reasons for suicide. Like you said, it's, it's a mental thing. It's most people working in their natural way would do everything that they can to survive. So to intentionally do something opposite to that or contrary to that doesn't, doesn't jive well with the natural state of, of our existence because we were meant to survive and thrive. Correct. So whether that's impulse control or mental illness or escaping from pain, there are so many factors that play into suicide. Let's talk about picking up the pieces in terms of what you do when someone contacts you or if you find out about how does that work? If you could walk our audience through that, let's say you receive a phone call from someone who tells you that they're concerned about a loved one whose husband just committed suicide. What would you do next? So what I like to do is I like to have an introductory call where I can 
connect with them and figure out where they're at and hold space for them to share a little bit about their story and then see where they want to go. See what they need, see what their vision is, help them tap into their vision and then offer them my services to see if we're a good fit and if it works for them. So that's my, my process. Walk me through, once you retain somebody and you work with somebody, what type of exercises or what type of discussions do you have with your client to help them understand? I know you're an amazing listener because you need to be. Mm-hmm. What type of proactive steps do you encourage your clients to do in terms of dealing with grief in the face of suicide? So a lot of that comes from the sessions themselves, whatever the client brings up. Um, if the client needs to go clean out their room, fantastic. That's an action step that they can take. Um, if they need to schedule grief time for five minutes every day, where they intentionally get in touch with their grief and sit with their grief, acknowledge their grief and be in their grief. Fantastic. That's what that's their action step. That's their homework. I also offer writing prompts for each session. So we'll talk about a subject. We'll talk about a theme or a topic. And then I'll assign a writing prompt that goes along with that topic. And that helps them reflect on what we've talked about and internalize it and do the internal work and processing and express it. And it also acts as a bridge for the next session. And it's all depending on what comes up for them in the session. So some of the topics that we work on are acknowledging the grief, being aware of it, how it affects us in our bodies, in our lives, because it's not just the person that dies. It's that death affects every area of their life. So it's getting in touch with all of those losses. It's finding ways that they can see the light in the situation and also holding space for the darkness, being able to balance both of them. It's who am I now creating a new identity? Okay, this person is is gone. This person is dead. What's my life purpose now? Who am I now going forward? So those are those are some of the main topics. How do yeah. you work? I'm sorry. How do you work with somebody when they when they are so entrenched in the immediacy of the death that they get stuck and it's hard for them to move to the next step of grief or the next step of healing? I listen. I listen I, and I hold space for them because that's what they need. You can't go on to the healing if you haven't processed the grief if you haven't felt the darkness and so if that's where a person is that's where we are we sit in the darkness we get in touch with it we we feel it we express it we talk about it if that's their way some people don't like talking about their grief so that may come later after they do some of the other work of what do i do now So it just depends on the individual. A lot of it does. 
I would feel like you have a unique perspective working with multiple individuals dealing with a similar topic, grieving someone who's died from suicide. What do you find is the most unique thing about each person, even though you see a common, I'd say common scope, but what what, what do you notice is the most individual thing that you work with, with each and each person you're, you're helping as a client, even though they're dealing with the grief of something that's extreme as suicide? Like, what do you do in terms of helping counsel? Like, what do you think is the most unique individual aspect of each person you counsel? Um, It's probably how they process it and how they think about it. I have some, so my friend was able to come to a healthy space very, very quickly as she was able to appreciate the darkness and the light, even, even the week after her sister died. Um, And that was incredible. She never felt guilty. She never felt blame. She knew that her sister was not alone and that her savior was with her. So she didn't have the guilt of what could I do? I I didn't do enough. I didn't talk to her enough. She knew that she had done everything that she could. And she also knew that her savior was with her sister. So that was very unique. With another client, she had very, a lot of trouble going into the grief, tapping into the grief. It wasn't until later in our work that she was actually able to sit in her grief and allow herself to be there. Her way of, of coping was get busy and look at the look at the things that she did have still. I can I could see that. And and I guess is that one of the exercises you recommend to or activities you recommend to your clients is to think of things that they could do that's productive within themselves to give them purpose and perspective to move through the grief. If that's what the client needs, yeah. It's all so individual because each of us have different experiences, different upbringings, different personalities, different mindsets and perspectives. And all of that plays a part in how we process our grief. I can understand that. From my unique perspective of being a medium, obviously, I'm not a a medical professional. I'm not a grief counselor. I'm not a life coach. I just do whatever it is I do. And I find that I've worked with several individuals whose loved ones have committed suicide. And a lot of times it's thrusted on me without prior knowledge. So I schedule a reading with somebody and I answer the phone. And next thing you know, their loved ones coming through to talk about how they didn't try to kill themselves. And I don't have any formal training. So... Mm -hmm. I tell anyone I work with, you need a life coach, you need a professional, you need to go see someone to get your specialized instruction and help. And in terms of communicating with a loved one, there's a certain time process for that, at least in my mind, I think someone needs to work through to be at the right place to receive the information should I pick it up for their loved one. I had a couple of years ago, someone come to me several years after their husband and, and there was two of them, a mother daughter team. They came to see me because it was the anniversary date of the death of their loved one who committed suicide 30 years earlier. Mm -hmm. I was unaware of that. They come to my office at the time before the pandemic and I'm picking up on the person and he's saying, I didn't kill, I didn't, I didn't kill myself to escape anything. I was just in a state of, you know, being very upset and just in a bad mindset, a bad place. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to receive the information. They started screaming at me like I was him. And I had to end the reading because I was like, you know what? If you're going to come to me for a reading, you got to be in the right place of your own mind space to, to receive any information. 
Yeah. And the reason I bring all that up is it, it just gave me a unique perspective that when people are grieving, there are timeframes, sometimes even 30 years later, they're not ready to talk to their loved one because they haven't worked through all the internal pain and the mm -hmm. healing necessary. Next time that happens, I'm referring them to someone like you. I'm going to say, call Jenny right now. Here's her number. Here's her email. You need to talk to her for a few sessions or whatever it takes before you're going to come see me because I'm not that, that person. I'm not that I'm not, I'm not a life coach. I'm not a qualified individual trained. Yeah. And in, from your perspective, I want to ask you this. When you look at what you're doing right now, and I know you have multiple roles in your life. You're also a mother of multiple children. You're a wife and you do a lot of other things. How do you balance everything in your life with what you do? That's, that's probably my biggest challenge in everything that I do is finding the balance. And I'm working really hard on that right now, actually. I'm choosing to step back from grief, from my grief work and be only part-time so that I can be more present at home. And that's okay because that's where I need to be. And so I do a lot of internal work. Where am I at? What's working? What's not working? What do I need to change? What do I need to take responsibility for? Where am I thriving? Where am I struggling? And I work to change it. What do you think is the greatest challenge to what you're doing right now in your profession going forward post-pandemic? Probably it would be that there aren't enough grief workers. Because not only with suicide and an increase in suicide rates because of pandemic, mental health, stress, everything that's going on political, environmental, cultural <laughs> craziness, race. That's why I'm laughing right now. Everything. Just how many more things can you name? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. All we're missing is a meteorite or an accident <laughs> in 2022, right? We have everything else right now. Yeah, there's so much going on. And there's so, because there's so much going on, no wonder we live in craziness. No wonder suicide rates are on the rise. It's insane when you think about it. It's a lot to digest, to say the least. And that's not even coining the phrase the right way to deal with what we're, we're living through a period of time that I think 40 or 50 years from now, God willing, we'll still be alive. People are going to ask us, what was it like when you made it through that? Yeah. And we're just going to be like the way our grandparents were with the Great Depression. We probably won't talk about it. We probably won't bring it up. We'll probably be like, oh, well, you know, it was something we got through. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm still trying to get my arms around this past year of my life because it's mind boggling. But let me ask you, I know you're in California. So yeah. when you are at a, let's say pre-COVID, I'm not going to be able to say this now, but let's say it's pre-COVID and you're at a mm -hmm. gathering of individuals in your life yeah. and someone asks you, so tell me a little about this grief counseling thing you do. What's it like? What would you say to them? <laughs> I laugh because it's it's such a big part of my life. It's where I found my identity. It's where I found my purpose, my passion, my life calling. And it's only a part of my life. I'm still a mother, a wife, a friend, a sister, all of these other roles too. And it's a lot. It, it means so much to me. And it it's what lights me up. It's what invigorates me. Your passion. Yeah, exactly. And so I could talk for hours 
about grief. I laugh when you say that because I think to myself, most people run away from grief. Most, I mean, literally, <laughs> they'll run away from it when it's in their life. They'll do whatever they can to ignore it. They won't want to bring it up at a party. And yet your talent is your intuitive ability to say, bring it right here. Yeah. I can listen all you need and I can help you because I've been trained to give you this unique set of circumstances to hopefully help guide you through your path. And yeah. death is not meant to be the tower card for a tower card debt. It's not, it's not meant to be the end all be all. It's, it's a, it's a realization of a transformation. It's not, that's at least my perspective, my unique yeah. perspective, because I've talked to enough people on the other side to say that this isn't so-and-so died. They're in the, in the ground and they're never coming back. In fact, when loved ones come through, they talk in present tense. I still love you. You can still love me. I'm still here. I watched you paint the living room yesterday. Blue. I watch you fall. I watch you get your haircut. You don't like your hairstyle. The perm sucks. You know, different things they'll try to say in such a way to make someone laugh, to give you, they always want the person to say, don't hold on to these anniversaries of our death. Don't hold on to these dates that my birthday makes you shut down every year, which when you think about grieving, it's, it's, it's kind of an attachment to the past in a way and, and hard with the realization that that person is still with you, at least from the multilateral approach of how I look at it. And I guess from, from your vantage point, when you're working with death and dying and grieving regularly. What do you find in terms of being able to lighten the mood when you work with your clients? I'm still working on that one too. <laughs> Sometimes it, de and again, it depends on the clients. Some are just naturally more humorous or they, that's a bigger part of their life or, or part of their personality. One of my clients actually said, you need to smile more. You need to laugh more. And she told me to get toys. So like sock puppets. <laughs> so this alligator and okay, I see an alligator. Yes. So that's one that I use as as one of my toys. Um, and it's actually an alligator that I got when I was cleaning out my grandma's house. So my grandpa had had died. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, and then my grandma just died two years ago. I I believe. Oh two or three years ago. And so we were cleaning out the house. And my grandma used to work at a, a family diner called Gators. And so I got grandpa's alligator to remind me of my grandma and my grandpa. That's beautiful. <laughs> so sometimes I use that in my sessions to bring some smiles. You know what I do when someone's call when I'm on the phone with somebody, most of my stuff's by phone. When somebody calls me and I'm I'm working with them and they get really upset, I try to lighten the mood. I, I feel like the loved one that comes through always tries to tell a joke, tries to say something humorous, tries to make someone laugh, just to lighten the feeling of what they're dealing with. And a lot of times I find that when you work with somebody and you can help them see past, see beyond, laugh a little bit, it can help with the grief. And I bet you your gator toy does that as well in terms of helping the light. Do you find that? Do you see that when you work with people and if you can get them to laugh a little bit or get them to smile a little bit that they, they will feel a little better while you're working with them during that session? I have had some sessions where they come on very solemn, very long face. And by the end, they're smiling. So I, I consider that a huge win, both for me and for them, because they've they've worked through their concerns, their worries, their burdens enough 
to have that smile on their face. Which is when you think about it, probably one of the most important things you can do at that specific moment is I find when I get someone to laugh or smile, I feel like I've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I, you know, who am I to gauge that? It's really the other person, but I, 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 I'm not an entertainer or anything like that. But when I'm giving a reading and someone's grieving, I always try to like launch into some type of, uh, I'm not a comedian either and I'm corny as hell with my jokes, but I always try to do something, whatever it takes in certain times when there's a heavy mood to lighten that mood. Cause I feel like the loved one really wants that on the other side and, uh, death and dying. So many of us fear that topic, even on a personal level, we, we feel so impacted by it when I'm not in any way advocating death or dying, but I'm saying we have to respond to it in our lives. And that's why I think what you're doing is such a vital function because you're helping people in a, in one of the worst moments, probably on a regular basis. And from my vantage point, what do you do to keep yourself strong? What do you do to keep yourself elevated? How do you work through these complex emotions and not take it home with you? Like I said earlier, it's their grief. And so I don't, I don't take on, those are their suitcases, not mine. By nature or personality or default, I have a a more serious uh, personality. And I think that serves me well because sometimes people are not ready to laugh. And sometimes we need to work through the deep darkness, the heaviness first before we can go to the laughter. That's a great point. And, and here's one of the things I'll say, healing modalities. I feel when you're working with someone grieving, you're offering a healing modality to them that's invaluable, that's priceless, that words can't describe the meaning of the gift that you give to those who you work with. And have you had anybody you've worked with come back to you later after the fact and show you their progress that they've accomplished from the time you worked with them till a future date? Yes and no. So my friend whose sister died by suicide, she has told me that my work or her work with me has eternal significance in her life. And even as I was working with her, like a week after her sister died, as she was going back and dealing with the logistics and the aftermath of the fact, I could see tremendous growth and progress and incredible transformation even then. So to me, she was was doing phenomenally well, even at that time. And she's continued to grow and heal and progress. One year later, she was a panelist for my discussion, my panel discussion on healing, finding light in the darkness of suicide. And she was able to talk about her experience openly and with love for her sister, for the experience. The others haven't yet come back to say, like, I I haven't, I haven't worked with anybody yet with, to give enough time for them to come back and say, this is where I am now after our work 10, 20 years ago, because I only officially launched my business July of last year. Understandable. So in terms of time frame, it's like, it's still early to get to that stage. And I can understand that. Right. Let me ask you this. John is listening to the show right now. And he just learned that his brother committed suicide. And the first thing he's doing to get his mind off things is tuning into this episode. What would you tell him? What, what advice would you give him as a first step 
to help him adjust to the new reality that his brother's committed suicide? The first thing I would tell them is, John, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And you're not alone. Your friend or your your person died. You did not. You still have a life to live. Wow. That's a profound think about. It. That's a basic but a profound message that you can really attach to and think about in terms of that immediacy of something is to say, this isn't something that I'm responsible for. This isn't something that I cause. This is something I have to react to, but I can control how I react to it by thinking of it, putting parameters around it and categorizing it in my mind the right way, at least the mm-hmm. best way. And there's no right and wrong way, but there's a way of getting yourself from point A to point B where you're in deep grief and depression and sadness to being functioning and able to move stronger and be able to move forward. And that's the process I believe that you're involved in to help guide and assist your clients from point Mm -hmm. A to point B. So you're like a tour guide through the challenging complexity of being left in behind from the death of someone through suicide. Mm -hmm. And I could see that. I could see that. I appreciate that. How do you feel about spirituality now that you've been doing this more so? I feel that I'm a very deeply spiritual and people, other people who are spiritual connect with me. Do I preach my spirituality? Not often. When it comes up, sure, I'll talk about it. I try and meet people where they're at. I hold myself and my spirituality where I'm at and I respect and honor other people where they're at in their spirituality. I am a firm believer that we are spiritual beings having a mortal experience and everything can be spiritual. I believe that 100%. 100%. Not just because I do the intuitive stuff, but I believe that our bodies are vehicles, like like a car, and at some point our bodies age and decay and collapse, and that our spirit is 99.9% of who we are, 99%, and that we go on to the next spot, and that's the difference between life and death. It's not ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just see it from a different point of view. So spirituality for me is everywhere and everything is spiritual. We're energy. Everything is made up of spirituality. Mm-hmm. That's my personal belief. And I, I love, and I'll say the word love. I love that you reached out to me and let me know that you do this kind of work because this is something that I think is pivotally important. I'm making up my words right now. Pivotal and important because of where we are. Yeah. All the chaos and all the uncertainty. I feel like you're offering certainty in an area where chaos begins and that you are, you, you are able to help individuals categorize the chaos and, and turn it into stability. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Let me ask you this, Jenny. If our audience wants to reach out to you, can you share your website information, contact information with them at this time? Sure. My website is grievingcoach.com and my email is jen, J-E-N-N, at grievingcoach.com. And I'm also very active on LinkedIn, Jenny Diltz hyphen Grieving Coach, and Facebook at Grieving Coach or Jenny Rencher Diltz. Great. Thank you. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to share with our audience? Anything notable or anything that you'd like to share? So I have a couple of things coming up. Um, one is a podcast that I run, um, that I host, and it's called Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. 
And I also do a couple of grief education workshops. One is Facing Grief in the Healthcare Workplace, and that is the second Saturday of the month. So the next one is coming up May 8th. And then the other workshop that I do is called What to Do When You Don't Do Grief. And that one is coming up on June 5th. Jenny, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your uh, amazing experience with us and just allowing us to discuss this topic. I know this is a heavy topic for some people. And I know that when we, when we even discuss it today, I'm familiar with death and dying because of what I do, but I know my audience, there's a lot of people who like to think of unicorns, rainbows, sunrises, the beach, and you know anything pleasant they can imagine. I do want to ask you a light question at the end because I like to leave things in a light perspective. Yeah. If you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be and why? And I'll go first. I always say the same thing. So uh, bear with me for a minute. I'll say owl because of the fact that I have two parrots. I love birds. I like the idea of wisdom and looking at things from uh, an aerial perspective, looking at the larger. And so that's where I am. And that's what I consider to be my spirit animal. So I would say that I'm a duckbill platypus. A little bit of a little bit of mammal, a little bit of aquatic, a little bit of oddity, <laughs> and a little bit of humor because they're like duckbill platypuses are a combination of everything. I think I think the duckbill platypuses is God's like comedic relief or something like that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, very pivotal. Having humor and having the ability of looking at things and then being spiritual at the same time is such a gift. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. It's been fun. I just want to thank Jenny Dills for coming on the show today and sharing her unique perspective as a grief coach, end of life and life coach. And if you want to reach out to Jenny, you can look her up at grievingcoach.com. Her email is jenny at grievingcoach.com. When you're dealing with a really heavy situation as death by suicide of a loved one or best friend or anything like that, realize, and I think Jenny said a very profound thing, which is, this isn't your end. This isn't your demise. How you look at things and how you categorize things and, 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 and approach it, take a deep breath, contact someone like Jenny, reach out to someone like Jenny. They're trained. They can help. They can hold your hand and listen to you and give you guidance and support and guide you through this dark moment. But in the big picture of things, you will get through this. Life does go on. You will remain connected with your loved ones and always know going forward, your inner strength will grow as you gain confidence in realizing those things. Each of us deals with challenges in life. It's how we take those challenges and create new beginnings. And I think Jenny is a very pivotal part of a new beginning for anyone dealing with grief and death of a loved one through suicide. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Until next time, stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind. Embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. 
With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.